Um, last week, I did do, uh, handed out my prayer journal. A lot of people are saying, oh, I want to get your prayer journal. So people are taking that and not even going to class. That's fine. We don't care. Uh, we did make 20 extra. I guess the goal is just to take one maybe per household. And the only reason is just because it's just a lot of uh, paper uh, to print. It's not, you know, that big of a deal. Um, but the, I said it was a prayer journal. And um, somebody, not corrected me, but um, said it's almost like a prayer book. You know what I probably need to start saying is a prayer book. Um, when it comes to a journal, I do do journaling, but this to me, this prayer journal is more like a book. So in other words, I don't write any more in it. Um, in fact, I, that's why I say buy an expensive one and write out the journal, write in it. And as you're writing in it, um, leave it there and then continue to use it like um, a book. Um, the journal is very universal. So in other words, I mean, I, when I, I wrote it, I didn't write it specifically for me. I have different areas that are in my side of my journal that are specifically just for me. I might have my, my wife and my daughters at the, the top of the journal. And then I have, you know, different, um, our staff is in my journal and those kind of things. But the bones that I gave you is just for um, you to work off of. So it's not for you to write with your prayers in it. It is to just work off of it to get the prayer starts, to get the prayer starts working. So but um, the prayer journal is in the back. If you would like it, um, please grab it. Um, I'll still reference to it. I'm going to reference to it even tonight, in fact, uh, or today. Even, in fact, um, you'll see that uh, this part right here in the very last page is in my prayer journal um, as well. But it's not in that book. So just to let you know, but it's in this. So you can put holes in it and put it in there um, if you would like as we're working through that. The topic of the series is um, meet with God. And uh, the, the base of this series is talking about that we do just about everything in our religious activities except meet with God. And, uh, and then we redefine the process of our relationship and what we do for God rather than what God has done for us and us meeting with him as a result of what he's done for us. So it's to take all the religious things that we do, put them aside, look at God face to face, and have this relationship. It's the greatest First commandment in the Bible is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I'm supposed to fall in love with him. <laughs> I'm supposed to fall in love with God as I walk through life. That is the commandment. Everything will else fall into place if I obey the first commandment. Um, the second commandment will be the, next, the first thing that does fall into place. And if I do the second commandment after I do the first, everything's going to be completed. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love others as yourself. You see that love word is just the center of the Bible, the center of Scripture. And so when we're looking at this, um, this topic, it's like, I'm going to meet with God. I'm not going to read my Bible just to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church just to go to church. I'm not going to do ministry just to do ministry. I want to meet with the one that I'm going to be doing ministry with. I want to meet with the one in prayer. I want to meet with the one in his word. Today we're going to talk about meditation. Meet with God through meditation. Number one in our notes, your religion is what you do with your solitude and what you meditate on is your master. What do you do in your solitude? This, this point confronts me. Oh, I open up my phone and I start looking at my phone. It's something that I consistently think about in my life. What do I do when I have nothing else to do? If what I do when I have nothing else to do, uh, that is my master. That is the Lord. That's the thing that is ruling me. That is the thing that is that is moving me. That's the thing that's making me. 
when I have nothing else to do, and then all of a sudden I do it. Why does that take place? It's because that's the time that you start feeding yourself. You start feeding yourself. Okay, I don't have to do this for others. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. All these activities. I'm just going to do absolutely nothing. That's the time you start feeding yourself. So what you do with your solitude is your master. Think about the concepts of, of meditation on God. Think of the concepts about being with God. What is, is meditation? Meditation is like chewing the cud. You know, I have some cows. And uh, what do the cows do? The cows, they'll go and they'll eat the grass. And when they eat the grass, they'll swallow the grass. And they have three different stomachs. I don't understand the whole process and I can't get into detail with it. All I know is they eat the grass and they swallow the grass. And then after a while, they barf the grass up. But they don't spit it out. They start chewing it again. Start chewing. And then they swallow. And then they barf it back up and they start, they, they start chewing again. Did you know you can do that with smoked oysters? <laughs> I told that to my wife. Is that the best thing about smoked oysters is you get to taste them all day. Because <laughs> you just, you burp and you, you know, <laughs> smoked oysters, I think, are the only thing you can do it with. But anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I just say that because my wife cannot, she won't kiss me for a week if I eat smoked oysters. But, um, but that's what meditation is. You eat it, you swallow it, you put it down, you barf it up, and you continue to chew it, and then all of a sudden, as you're chewing it, it goes into your system. You're not just getting rid of it, you're using it, and it's starting to go into your system. So what you're doing in your solitude, what you're meditating on is, is, is making you, it's moving you, it's, it's driving you. Because we go consistently to that one object inside of our solitude, and it is like chewing the cud that is, that is making us. So what we think about in our mind is what we're meditating on. Think about meditating on Scripture. Think about meditating on God. Think about just the concepts of being in the wilderness and saying, you know, God, I see its beauty. I see its glory, but I don't want to just see it. I want to worship the master in the process of looking at it and, and, and think about the hand of God in the process of doing that. Number two, the Psalter is a prayer book in the Bible where we learn how to pray. The Psalter is the book of the book of Psalms. So Psalms is gonna do what? It's going to teach you how to pray. If you look at my prayer journal, there is just prayers all the way through my prayer journal written in first person and it's just completely plagiarized from the Psalms. I just took the Psalms out, put it in first person and there was a prayer. So if you have a prayer book the very first chapter in the book, you're gonna get them talking about prayer. Is that correct? I mean, that's the introduction. I mean, the introduction is, yeah, you, you make the introduction and then you have the prayer book. That's what you're gonna talk about. But what's the first chapter in the book of Psalms? Psalms one reads like this. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. He didn't put prayer in there. There's, there's no prayer that's taking place. But what is the word that is in there? That his delight is in the law of the Lord and the law he meditates day and night. 
So he's launching an entire book, a prayer book. And to launch this entire prayer book, he gives us a foundation which, which sets prayer on fire. Meditation is what sets prayer on fire. Meditation is, is the foundation of prayer. Meditation is the foundation of the book of Psalms. It says, meditate on God's word day and night, and then from that, you will be moved into what? You will move into prayer. Now, oftentimes, we don't go work that way. It's like, okay, I got to pray, and I got to read the word. And we just put them as two different things. Um, Psalms doesn't put in two different things. Psalm says, meditate, and let that be the base of your prayer life. Let that send your prayer life. Let that move your prayer life. Then all of a sudden, we're praying about something. What? We're praying about the word. We're praying about what's coming out of the word and the power and the glory that's coming from it. But as the light is in the law, Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night and then explains where his standing is at. He's like a tree planted in streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. His leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. As a result of this meditation, Everything is taking place, you're prospering, your leaves are not withering, you're a person that is on track to now what? To now pray. That's how the book of Psalms is working. Number two, meditation is formative reading rather than informative. Not merely reading the Bible, it does us good, but the soul inwardly feeding on it, digesting it, that's when the soul starts getting rich. But meditation is, is formative. What do I mean by formative and rather than informative? Here's formative, formative, letter A. Formative is where you ask the Bible questions. Informative is where the Bible asks you questions. Meditation, this is kind of what it looks like. As you're reading, ask questions, ask questions. As you're reading, ask questions. Questions like what? What does it want from me? Where is it sending me? What is it speaking to me? How does it want me to feel? What is God communicating with me? You're asking the Bible questions. That's what the word formative means. Ask the Bible questions. Why? Because you want its answers. Informative is where the Bible starts to ask you questions. And that gets uh, a little bit more personal. I mean, have you uh, ever read the Bible and, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh my goodness, God is asking me to do what? God is asking me to go where? God is asking me to love who? The Bible is not just a book that you read. The Bible is interaction, informative, informative relationship with uh, with what is going on inside the Word, doing it with God. Letter B, what, um, what does it want from me would be a question. Um, at, or ask, what does it want from me? What is it doing with me? Where is it sending me? Why is it saying it to me? Just ask these questions as they're coming out. Number three, meditation is the affecting of the heart with the intense use of the mind. God has never promised uh, to fill a man's mind. He just, or fill a person's mind. He doesn't say, I'm just gonna give you a whole bunch of knowledge. 
Um, often when we look at scripture, we say, okay, we got to fill our mind and we got to know the Bible. God wants to go well past the mind and he wants to go where? He wants to penetrate the heart. And uh, what is the heart in regards to the Bible? It is the seat of the person. It is the emotions of the person. It is the person. That's what we're talking about, what the heart is. Um, the mind is the thought process. It's the intellect. But he wants to get into the seat of the person, the emotions of the person, the drive of the person. You want to get right into the center um, of, of the person. Studying is the work of the brain. Meditation is the work of the heart. He wants to have the heart touched. He wants to have the heart moved. He wants the heart alive. He wants to have the heart feeling. And that's what meditation uh, is, is doing. Martin Luther says this, there is a difference between meditation and thinking. To meditate is to think carefully, deeply, diligently, and properly. It means to muse the heart. Hence, to meditate is, as it were, to stir up the, in the inside or to be moved in the innermost Self. Last question. Should there be emotions when you're reading the word? The answer is yes. And if not, then you're not meditating on the word. You're just reading the word. <laughs> That's, uh, I had a, a, um, a history professor. The guy was so smart. Um, he could you know, read a book in an hour because he's just a speed reader. He'd just go like this. I mean, he was just the most intelligent person I, I think I've ever met. And, uh, and somebody in the class, when I was a senior in high school, asked him a question. And he said, have you ever read the Bible? And what his comment was, he says, yes, I did. Um, I read it once. Probably wouldn't read it again. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great history, a historical book. And I think history was even right in, in a lot of different areas. And, and, uh, and you know, it said, it said a lot and it gave you great principles, you know, on, on how to live. But, you know, that was, um, that was, was it. That was a logical mind that went through the Bible that never touched the heart. A logical mind that went to the Bible and never saw the relationship, never saw the gospel that gives you that relationship. It was logical that went to the Bible, but it never made the heart weep. Scripture should make the heart weep. Why? Because you're interacting with the King of Kings and interacting with the, the Lord of Lords. And it's interesting in how we, we're reading scripture and it's interesting in what, what areas that would make my heart weep and not, and, and not weep. And, and uh, sometimes when I, I just read through the gospels and I just, just read even about the, um, the, the death of Jesus. It's not even the, the amount of death of Jesus that is there and the sickness and the horrificness. It's the amount of heart that he's given to me because he loves me. I mean, it, it's supposed to touch you. It's supposed to move you. It's, it's supposed to send you. Every, not every single one, but 95% of the, the disciples were martyred. The authors of scripture were killed. They were, they were persecuted. They lived in this, but they held on to something. And the something was the very words of God that carried them to the crosses that hung them on, that people hung them on. It was the very word of God that, that carried them to the places where they knew that they would be killed if they go. It was the very word of God that that they would say, make the statement that, yes, you can kill me. As a result of killing me, as a result of torture me, I will not deny my Savior because that is my, that is my life. So when you look at these stories and the people who wrote these stories, which is not just a fairy tale, this is history of what happened it is as a result of having something inside of them that carried them through 
what they went through. And you should be fascinated by it. You should be moved by it. Because that same thing that they had that brought them to their crosses is the same thing that we're reading. But the reason why they could do it is because the Bible is so personal to them. And as a result of being so personal to them, they felt it. They're moved by it. They, they took it. This was, their, this was their life. As they meditated on it, they, hang, they hung deeply onto it. Here's another question to ask. Ask letter A. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed in my notes. I already gave you that one. Did I already do this one? What is, what is it trying to tell me? Why is it trying to tell me, tell me it? And what is it telling me? Reading searches the vein of gold and meditation uh, is the one that, that digs it up. The Bible is, I think it's the only book that you can read a hundred times and get something new every single time you practically read it. I mean, I remember reading the Bible, I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen that there before. I've read the Bible numerous times. I've read the New Testament numerous times. I read the book of Ephesians numerous times. But if I go read the book of Ephesians again, you know what? You're going you're gonna to get something different. It's going to be something brand new. It carries a weight. It carries a, a gold um, that is there. Therefore, ask questions. What is it telling me? Why is it telling it to me? And what is it telling to me for? Psalms 32, 3 through 5 says, When I kept silent about my bones... When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I confess my transgressions before the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Who's that story? A story of, of David. What is it about a story to me? Because the same thing that's happening to David is the same thing that's going to happen to me. When I kept saying, if I keep silent about my sins, and this is information that is real life, that is speaking not to my brains and intellect, but my heart. If I keep silent about my sins, my bones will waste away through my groaning all day long. You know what? We know that. We know that. In fact, we can, we can prove it. Uh, we, can, we can prove it. I mean, just even a, a sense of have nothing to do with God at all. Have nothing to do with God. And then do a study on somebody that's concealing pornography. Do a study on what happens to that individual that doesn't speak about it, doesn't, doesn't talk about it, doesn't just, just have it buried and, then, and gets addicted to it. And then all of a sudden can't release, you know, cannot, um, cannot let his phone down or his phone, her phone down. Do a study of that person. Their bones waste away. Their relationships start wasting away. Their emotions, and emotions have, have an impact on our organs. You know, you call ulcer. When you get ulcer, you get the ulcer from stress. They have impact on our, our organs. So do a study on somebody that's concealing pornography. Do a study on somebody who's concealing an adultery, an adulterous relationship, or nobody knows. They are wasting away, have nothing to do with God, pretend like we have nothing to do with God. We're all atheists in the room. So start doing studies, and you know what you'll see is you'll see that the Bible is extremely accurate. As it's telling stories about David. No, it's not about David. It's about me. 
And then it gives me an answer. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You know, when you get the word hand was heavy upon me, this is talking about now I understand the weight that I'm feeling. It's not just science. It's not just life. No, it's, it's God's putting your hand upon you. It's written to me. My strength was sapped in the heat of the summer. This is describing who I am. This is describing me if I take this process. But then all of a sudden, verse five, you get this, like this weight. It's just massive relief that gets lifted off a person. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I confess. What's the word confess? It's just speak out. That's what the word is. It's just, just say it. I confess my transgressions, speak out to the Lord. And you forgave what? My sin? It's not what it says. And you forgave the, the guilt of my sin. See, all of us know what we're talking about. We're tracking with this passage. We know that the guilt that sin brings in, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we understand break the law of God, whether you know him or not, break the law of God, guilt is there. And we know that because people start throwing stones at people that do it. Tiger Woods, you know, he had an adulterous affair. It's nothing to do with God. And everybody who threw a stone with him has nothing to do with God. But why are they throwing the stones when he has an affair and ruins his marriage? It's, it's, it's just watch what's taking place in this world. Is people who have nothing to do with God are still tracking with God's law and the emotions that come with God's law. It's still, it's still there. And the reason why is because the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. If you read it, if you meditate on it, if you bring it into first person. So we can look at other people's life. We can look at Hollywood's life and said the word of God is active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And we see what's taking place out there. And we see them throwing stones and, and, uh, um, at, at each other. And it's all consistent with the emotions of the word of God. Why, when we read it, it's so personal to me. It's so personal to you. It's so personal here. So it carries that power. So we don't just read it. We meditate on it. We think about it over and over and over. We apply it to our lives and we think, this is written to me. It's not written to David. This is speaking to me. It's not only speaking to David. This is science with, with me and with the creation. It's not only, you know, it's not, it's not just happened back in the world. It's it's everything that is consistent and true with the creation of the world and the creation of mankind. Number four, meditation is sensing with the mind rather than just thinking. Now, there's two different forms of meditation um, in this world. I'll just say two different forms in this world. Um, one is you empty your mind. Um, so in other words, if you empty your mind, you expect the filling of your mind of something. And uh, um, yoga will do, um, will do that, where you just consistently just empty your mind and then it fills with something. Biblical meditation is the opposite of that. Biblical meditation is what? It is the filling of your mind. It is the packing of your mind. You don't want to empty it. And the reason why you don't want to empty it is because according to the word, which is according to my life, 
My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means I don't know it. And my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. If I can just empty my mind, you know what's going to come out? Let's be honest with you. Is deceitfulness and desperately wicked because I'm going to come out. I'm going to fill it. But when meditation is, no, 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 don't you try to fill your mind. Get to my word and let the word fill your mind. Let the gospel fill your mind. Let God fill your mind. Just pack the mind as full as you possibly can because when you pack the mind as full as you possibly can, then things start, start uh, coming out. Meditation is sensing with the mind rather than just thinking. I'm sensing, I'm feeling with the mind. Psalms 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalms 34, 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not just information. That's that's sensing. Taste and see. The words are sweet. The words are sweeter than than honey to my mouth. The word offers you something that is just not a book. It's not just a book. It's not just history. It's the word of God speaking to us. Meditation is making that for us. Number eight. Sensory language is seeing, tasting, hearing, smelling, and feeling the words. Man is cold, what do you do? Person is cold, you go, you go stand by the fire. And uh, what happens when you stand by the fire? You get warmed up. You step away from the fire, what takes place? You get cold. That's what the word of God is. I'm going to go stand by the fire, and I'm going to keep my, myself warm. I'm going to keep myself strong. I want to taste it. I want to hear it. I want to smell it. I, I want to feel it. I want all the sensories that I have to be active in regards to me reading this word. What do you mean? Smell the word. I mean, what do you mean? The Bible talks about the incense of prayer. Well, we know what incense does to us. It's like you smell the incense of you smell something good, perfumery. You smell something that you know, the, the smelling is the strongest, um, one of the strongest sensory languages that we have. It's an incense. It's like you bring it up and you understand that. Well, when we start talking about scripture and prayer, prayer is an incense. And they did it even in the side of the temple. And an incense that fills your, mm, your whole sensory. It's something good. And when you start talking about incense and you talk about the smelling of it we understand it we're tracking it and then when we're praying we can start feeling it we can start knowing it i'm not like you can smell something different smell something weird but it's describing it that has taken place we understand the tasting we understand the seeing we understand the hearing we understand the feeling the word offers all of those things meditation melts the heart when it is frozen and makes dry um a drop tears of love. Letter A, or I'm sorry, letter B. Uh, the Bible will never touch them until it has touched you. See, what God wants to do is he wants to um, touch us through the word. And the reason he wants to do is touch us through the word is because he wants you to touch others, you know, through the word. And the problem is, is that we can easily say, well, this is my doctrinal belief. This is where I stand. This is who I am. And we come to the bold structures of the, logic, the logical structures of the word and make the statement of who you are as a result of the logical structures. Don't make the statement of who you are in regards to the logical structures. Make the statement of who you are in regards to the emotional concepts 
of the word. We were given the gospel. That's not a logical structure that we need to dissect and, 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 and know logically. It's an emotional act given to us by our God. And that emotional act given to us by our God is supposed to blow past the mind. In fact, the mind is barely even, barely even, supposed, to, barely even supposed to see it. We're supposed to look at the gospel because it's simple. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. As he paid the price of sin, he was buried. He rose again three days later, and he wants a relationship with you. And you can come into the throne room of grace whenever you want to spend time with him. That's not a logical structure. That's an emotional concept that God wants to touch you deep. And when it does, what happens? Well, we can use that word revival again. <laughs> it's all it was, was a message that they had in the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament in the New Testament. The New Testament was compiled like 300 years later. I mean, they had Paul's letters that they rewrote and wrote and sent and, you know, all those kind of things. But that's not, you know, um, that was not their, okay, this is, you know, the, the word of God. It was like, here, here, this is what Paul wrote, this is what Paul wrote, this is what, Paul, you know, this is what um, you know, Mark wrote, this is what, you know, as they're compiling those structures. But their message was one gospel. That's all they had. 3,000 people saved, 5,000 people saved. One gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rumors were what, who he was and what he did. And, and they looked back at that gospel. They were emotionally moved. And since they were emotionally moved inside of them, they are emotionally moved inside of the country, inside of inside of the world. Thomas Brooks says this, it is not the bee's touch, touching of the flower that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not that he reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, strongest Christian. So when you look at the word meditate, it's like, tell me how to meditate. Number six, praying the Psalms perhaps, uh, is perhaps the greatest form of meditation. Just praying the Psalms, praying the Word, reading over and over and over again, making it personal, thinking about it throughout your day. If somebody's going to give me a compliment on a sermon, I will tell you the greatest compliment I could get on a sermon is this. And you don't have to give me those compliments. But when they come back a week later and say, I was thinking about last week's sermon all week long. <laughs> I mean, that, I'm sorry, that's just the greatest compliment that I could get on a sermon. It was something that was the word of God that stuck where it didn't leave them when they left the building. It didn't leave them when they closed their Bible. That's the way that the word works. You read in the morning because you don't want what you read in the morning to leave you all day long. You want to think about what you read because what you read that morning is probably what you're going to need for the, the day. So think about what you read and mark out one, two, three things. This is what God said to me this morning. And then think about those three things of what God said to me this morning. You know what? You're going to need those in the day. Sometimes they're as simple as God said he loved me. God says that he loved me when he shouldn't have loved me. God said, he gave me grace. I say, God says he's going to judge me. Therefore, I need to watch out, you know, for my sins. And as I'm getting tempted, God says he's going to, I mean, just all those things that you're getting from the word will go on throughout the day. So 
when it comes to meditation, um, the Psalms um, re- says this word meditation more than in any other book. And whatever the Psalms says to meditate on, you know, just like I said, whatever the Psalms prays on, pray on, whatever the Psalm says to meditate on, this is what we should meditate on. Think over and over and over and over in our mind again. Um, here's a, a fast list. And this is, again, written in first person because I want to be tracking with the Bible as I'm, as I'm meditating. God, I'll meditate on your love for it is my delight. And we find that in Psalms 1. God, I will meditate, and may your fire glow hot within me. Here's another word, meditate. I will think, 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 and I'm going to let this fire grow hot within me. We can pray these things as well. God, I will meditate, but God, I don't want to meditate in a way that the fire goes out. I want to meditate in a way that I, my heart comes on fire. I'm fueled with passion, fueled with energy, fueled with a drive, fueled with living a, a life according to your will and according to your purpose. God, I will meditate on your unfailing love. God, I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. God, I will meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. God, I will meditate on your decrees, even if rulers slander me. God, I will meditate on your wonders. Please let me understand the teaching of your precepts. God, I will meditate on your decrees and I will lift up my hands, the commandments which I love God, I'll meditate on your precepts. You see this word, word, decrees, just being said in different ways. I'll meditate on your precepts, for I, do not, uh, I don't want to be an arrogant man put to shame. God, I'll meditate all day long. Oh, how much I love your law. God, I'll meditate on your statutes as I desire insight more than all worldly teachers. God, I'll meditate on your promises, rising from dawn, crying for help. God, I'll meditate on your works, considering what your hands have done. God, I will meditate on all your wonderful works. You know, this is kind of just an explanation of what the word meditate goes on. God says, I want you to meditate. Here are the things to meditate on. And then I just kind of even wrote the fast words. This is what the Bible meditated on. They meditated on law, which is the word of God. They meditate on your unfailing love. Just gives you an explanation of how much he loves you. Meditate on God's works, God's decrees. Meditate on um, God's precepts. Meditate on God's wonders, God's statutes, God's promises. Meditate until you're hot and meditate all day long. Every Hebrew word that mentions meditate, there they are in Psalms. If Psalms did it, why wouldn't we do those pieces and those parts? 